This is Meatless, a podcast about eating. I'm Alicia Kennedy, a food and drink writer. I'll be having conversations with chefs, writers, and more about how their personal and political beliefs determine whether or not they eat meat. The show will ask the question, how do identity, culture, economics, and history affect a diet? In this episode, I talk to Leah Kurtz, a writer, nutrition educator, and co-producer of Heritage Radio Network's Food Without Borders. Her work focuses on the intersection of queerness and veganism. I first came to know Leah as a fellow Instagram vegan and, at one time, the only other vegan food writer I could find. Her writing has a deeply considered humanity, whether she's covering the queer food pop-up Babe Town or old-school Williamsburg hardware store Crest. She's masterful at getting you on her side before you even know what's happened. We discussed her youth in rural Indiana, time at NYU's Food Studies Master's program, and how the animal rights movement might better open itself up to other social justice movements. I have in my notes now to greet people and like, but I know you, so yeah, it's, I don't yeah. need to be reminded to say, hello, <laughs> Leah, how's it going? Thank you so much for being here. <laughs> You're just like, okay, tell me everything. No. Here are my questions. <laughs> boom, boom, boom. No. Um, but can you, can you tell us a bit about where and how you grew up and what, what you ate? Yeah. So I am from Indiana. Uh, a tiny cornfield in the Midwest. <laughs> um, and yeah, I definitely grew up eating the standard meat and potatoes diet. Like, you know, um, but the, the one, I guess, difference maybe from the norm is that my family are all kind of farmers and hunters. And so I certainly ate like animal products from, you know, the grocery store, but the most, the majority of it actually was like, from a, you know, a farm or that was like hunted in the wild. So I was very removed from like, yeah, like the meat industry. (laughs) But anyway. Um, Did you ever go hunting with anyone? Uh, No, definitely not. I went fishing. That was kind of like the the fun kid, you know, kid-friendly, bizarre, (laughs) (laughs) kid-friendly sport. Uh, Yeah. Did you have... A feeling, like a feeling that that was a, the wrong thing to do when you were a kid. Did it occur I to you? Totally did not. I, I apparently had very, you know, complicated uh, sense of empathy as far as animals went. Like I, I always had pets and I loved them, but you know, I, I think because it was associated with like bonding and family time. Like my grandfather would take us fishing, right. and so it was this like fun activity to do something different, and it. And it was just so normalized. It never like occurred to me that like poking a you know hook through a worm was not great, and then like <laughs> sinking that hook into a fish was yeah. you know also not great. Well, when did the first? Uh, when did you first consider the ethics of eating meat? So it was actually during this time when I was already kind of like changing politically, um, kind of like after this whatever midlife crisis and uh so a friend of mine um gave me or recommended this book to me called Dominion by Matthew Scully which was I think written in 2002 and it was kind of one of the first big uh 
not undercover investigations, but he was allowed to go to a slaughterhouse and he was allowed to go to these factory farms. And so it kind of went through every animal industry, including safari hunting, which I had no idea. And I had no idea any of this existed. I just thought like very naively that all the meat came from farms like my grandfather's. Right, right, right. And And even that was an ideal. (laughs) (laughs) Did you ever see a slaughter then? I, I don't think that I did apart from chickens. And actually I take that back. I participated in killing chickens when I was in my early teens because that was something that was like, you know, they're small enough animals that it could, you know, be done. And that was like, you know, this get together and we (laughs) like chopped the heads off of chickens. And I definitely remember either actually doing it or like cleaning the chicken and actually like a funny story we always told was this chicken ran into my mom's friend's van, like with its head cut off and it got like blood everywhere. And we were like, Oh, it's so funny. Cause we hated her. And (laughs) (laughs) but looking back, I'm like, wow, that was like really dark and gruesome. And we totally didn't even consider this chicken is like bleeding cause it's dead. Instead, we thought it was funny that her Dodge caravan was totally destroyed. Um, so when did you start to reconsider your politics and how did that, was it really just the book that made animal rights come into it or, or was that a consideration otherwise? So, so yeah, I was in my early twenties when I read that and I immediately, I was so angry. I was so horrified that no one had told me about this, that, that I was, you know, had blind to it, been blind to it for the first, you know, like 20 three or 24 years of my life. And I immediately, um, stopped eating like most animals. And I think actually previously I had stopped eating pork and shellfish for like for health reasons. Um, but yeah, I, I was really pissed and, you know, just totally stopped. Um, I, I think I continued to eat fish occasionally until a cousin of mine was like, yeah, we let them, you know, like suffocate in a bucket. (laughs) I was like, okay, cool. I won't eat that anymore. (laughs) Um, and then veganism kind of followed within the next year. I started kind of like learning about the dairy industry and, you know, other animal products and slowly decided to stop eating those. And, but that definitely was parallel with becoming more feminist, becoming, um, I actually used to be kind of homophobic. I mean, I grew up a Republican, like evangelical. So like it was this huge shift in all forms of like political understanding worldview, but the veganism, um, kind of shifted right along with that. Right. Um, I think this is a question omnivores like to ask, um, is what was the hardest thing to give up? Ah, that's a good question. I think it was, I mean, it was probably like, you know, ice cream and cheese. I mean, it was definitely the, like most people say cheese. Yeah. Um, I I remember having this very visceral moment after I had definitely gone vegan and stopped eating cheese and I was tempted by this like piece of pizza and I was tired and, (laughs) and, you know, it was like shitty Papa John's cheese pizza and I ate it and I remember just 
thinking this is so disgusting. This tastes like cholesterol. Like, right, this right. Tastes just like awful. And that like cured me. But I think it's also the memory yes. of the way food smells, the positive memories we have associated with it. That was the hardest thing. Like, and also the invisible ingredients, like baked goods were probably actually the hardest. My mom's homemade baked goods because I couldn't see any of those products. Right. And they were from like the most ideal sources, like her own chicken's eggs right. and, you know, the butter she churned, but like still problematic. <laughs> <laughs> so do you, you do think it is as problematic to have eggs from your own chickens from your yard? I mean, no, it's definitely like variations yeah. of, but I think it's variations of the same kind of bad right. thing because like of hatcheries, you can't really escape that. So no. It's still part of this like really cruel system. Right. Of course. Yeah. Um, but now a lot of your family members are vegan. How did that Some happen? of them are. Yeah. So that was very gradual. Um, my sister uh, became vegan a few years back. And, you know, I'm sure that I influenced her in some ways. But honestly, it was because of her pets. She got dogs and she kind of had this moment of like, oh, my gosh, I'm eating animals but like I don't eat my dogs and they're so smart and <laughs> yeah. I know that other animals are even smarter so why would I do that um which is a weird problem with like the way we view intelligence and give people value because of that but um still it yeah. pushed her and then yeah like my uh brother one of my younger brothers recently went vegetarian and then vegan and then my mom actually um has been I think eating mostly vegetarian and sometimes vegan after she and my stepdad went on this binge watching of all like the health documentaries <laughs> on Netflix, which actually pissed me off because I was like, okay, so I talk about this stuff for years and then you watch <laughs> one documentary that's totally like has issues yeah. and is, has lots of, you know, inaccuracies and then that does it. Okay. <laughs> what do you think of those sensationalistic documentaries? I mean, I, I think that you know, they do a little bit of good, but also a lot of harm. I, th I think, you know, they're trying to sell a product. And so they have to kind of make it, they have to exaggerate certain things to try to win over, I think, like a, a more shallow audience maybe, or, or to get, you know, it's like clickbait, but yeah. you, but to watch instead right. of read, I guess. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's disappointing because it's it tends to focus on health um, or like conspiracies, um, and it's not actually that radical or political. Right. But it has the guise of being, you know, super progressive. Right. I mean, I feel like that's a huge problem is that a lot of vegan things and vegan people really zero in on the health and the animals and then forget that these have implications beyond that or that they should be concerned with like human life too. It's like you I feel like there are certain kinds of vegans who, I mean, it's getting better and it, it is a lot better, but like dehumanize the people who work in the slaughterhouses and, and don't yeah. have any concern for like the economic factors that, that force a person to take a job in a slaughterhouse. And it's like, these are all interconnected and it's mm -hmm. like, you just want to shake a person, but yeah. And, and they're usually, yeah, very white as well. Right. It's like the people that get featured, the issues that get discussed, it's, yeah, it's catering to, it's anticipating that the audience is white or it's just completely like forgetting about, you know, half our country's population. Right, 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 like, right. Um, so what made you want to go to NYU to study food studies? 
Yeah. So when I was finishing up my undergraduate degree at Indiana University, um, I that's when I kind of really got interested in um, like feminism and veganism. I it all kind of started with a few years back, um, an uncle of mine had made some comment like, "Well, I'm not gay. I don't eat tofu," and oh I was boy. just like, ah! <laughs> <laughs> "What?" <laughs> And I really like it caught me so off guard uh, and I just was so kind of disturbed by it. It was also, of course, in retrospect, hilarious. Uh, It's just so absurd, you know. Um, And that really honestly, like his comment, I should just like have it, you know, like a plaque (laughs) because like that quote pushed me to just start thinking differently about, um, about like animal, um, exploitation and how it connects with, um, you know, human exploitation, how it connects with other forms of oppression. And so basically I had started researching for my, um, undergraduate thesis, uh, kind of like Carol J. Adams, like sexual, I started reading the sexual politics of meat. I was also getting really into queer theory. And so for me, I found this like kind of, uh, gaping, I don't know, just kind of this blind spot where no one was really talking about the homophobia and kind of like the queering of veganism. And so, Uh, I was really interested in basically researching that more and I was already kind of at the end of my undergraduate degree and so I wanted to find a place where I could learn more about that, study more about it. Um, And so, yeah, that's kind of what drew me to come to NYU and mainly because it's one of the few food studies programs in the country. So it was kind of toying between do I do literature and focus on, you know, veganism and food and sexuality or do I just study food and then tie in the other things with that right and uh was it weird to be a vegan in that program oh totally I think (laughs) I was one of I think there was one other vegan who's became we actually bonded I mean she's an incredible person but we bonded because we were the only vegans in the program initially and that was really disappointing for me to kind of you know I'm I was from the midwest so I was very kind of removed from the whole foodie culture and like you know, obsession with chefs and like restaurants and like pork belly and like all that stuff. And so when I moved here, um, it was definitely like a different world. And the program is kind of, I mean, it has really some great people and high points to it, but it, it's very removed from actually any like ethical or kind of radical political approach to food and and just no conversation about animal agriculture. It was like this unspoken, well, of course we all know factory farming is awful. <laughs> but then it's like, but we also eat all the animals from factory farms. Yeah, yeah. And so much cheese and wine. And though it's like wine, yeah, I'm down with that. But like, <laughs> so yeah, it was really disappointing that there yeah. was this disconnect and um, kind of patronizing responses to when I would vocalize that. What was what kind of response? What did people say? Um, it would just be, you know, not like belittling, but just kind of like, oh yeah, okay, or like the one of my professors, um, you know, had like a a section in his course on ethics, the ethics of eating animals, um, and we read Jonathan Saffron Forrest's Eating Animals, and it was just like, okay, if you actually want to talk about the ethics of eating animals, this is like 
you know, Dick and Jane. Fun with Dick and Jane <laughs> for that, you know? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. We could go so much deeper and you put it at like the last week of your course. So right. it's just like little things that showed like, I'm trying to look like I care about this. I don't actually care about right. this. That is really disappointing to hear, actually. Because yeah. I, yeah, I, we've never talked about this before. Mm-hmm. Like, and that is actually kind of shocking that in that kind of a setting that people would still be so dismissive. Yeah, of- I, w- I mean, Marion Nestle has been, I would say, the best about you know, talking about the importance of eating fewer animals. But again, it's always in that context, eat fewer it's animals. Always fewer. It's, it's always never, the Michael Pollan thing. No, yeah. Exactly. Nobody wants to say this is horrible and you should stop doing it. Right, right. <laughs> um, so I wanted, yeah, I wanted to ask you more about the specific intersection of veganism and queerness, which you've written about at length and kind of continue to explore a bit in your writing. Yeah. So basically when I, um, when I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do for my thesis at NYU, I, I knew I wanted to do something around, um, like queerness and veganism. And I decided I'd already gotten a little bit into food writing. And so I decided that probably the most effective and maybe meaningful way to talk about it would be to share people's stories, which is something I really like to do is like profiling people and kind of getting into their backgrounds. And so, um, I, I wanted to also understand ways that I have an experience where there are these connections between, mm-hmm. I hesitate to use the word intersectionality a lot, except when I, I did, you know, interview some women of color, but like uh, there were these connections between, you know, being um, a minority, being a uh, an immigrant, um, being many different, you know, letters of the LGBTQ community and being vegan or vegetarian that like were not my experience. And so I really wanted to learn basically through people's experiences. I mean, I did do a lot of, you know, research as well. Um, and basically what I found, I I think I interviewed about 12 people in the original group. Um, and kind of what I found where there's, this um, underlying empathy for a lot of the people where they experienced certain forms of, you know, abuse, whether it was homophobia or xenophobia um, or racial violence. And um, and that really gave them much more like a greater sensitivity to like seeing animal cruelty. And that really resonated with them, like as far as being bullied maybe as a kid for being gay before they even knew they were gay. And then seeing videos of like, you know, piglets being, you know, hit or cows being punched and, and also the, the words being used. Yeah. Cause it's not just physical. It's usually very verbal. And so it's interesting. Um, some of the like, words used towards animals in like farms in these settings um yeah are very like sexist and uh and so it was like people that that really struck a chord if that was already kind of maybe your own experience um and then there's also this interesting uh kind of queering on the outside and then this empathy on the inside so like in my experience which was very mild it was an offhand comment but there's this really deep um, history of queering vegans and vegetarians right. because of kind of this like whatever this hetero patriarchal you know construct around power and eating animals and that power and that masculinity being a very straight masculinity 
Um, and so therefore, if you stop eating animals or you present as anything other than like the very standard, like machismo version of what masculinity could be, um, yeah, that's immediate, an immediate flag for like, maybe you're gay. And right. so there's, and it's interesting because some of the people I spoke to, they were like, you know, you could be, um, outed for being gay because you went vegetarian, but maybe you are actually gay, but you're not out, but then people <laughs> call you gay for you not eating meat. Yeah. Um, and so it's this kind of like tenuous relationship because there are a lot of vegans who are LGBTQ. Right. Um, because of this greater sensitivity to suffering. Yeah. Um, I mean, not to say that all of them are. Certainly there's also um, an overcompensation that goes the other way, like the lesbians who barbecue and like, yeah. look how tough I am. Look how like, you know, like not wanting to conform to that stereotype because right. it is a stereotype. Yeah. Um, like the, but I'm a cheerleader movie where, you know, her parents find out she's gay because she's eating tofu. Right. Again, I don't know why, why tofu gets this like, <laughs> that's a whole other conversation. I mean, there's probably some Orientalism and in that too. Of course there is. Yeah. yeah. The feminization of like, yeah, Asian culture. Yeah. So, um, it's, so that's kind of like one element of it. Um, definitely, uh, one, one thing I found interesting that came up was that, um, the way people's families responded to them. A lot of people I spoke with came out um, in like the, you know, 80s and 90s and then became vegan or vegetarian maybe 10 years or so after. And the way their families responded, um, some of them, you know, were totally fine with them being gay, but then freaked out when they went <laughs> vegan. And some of those fears uh, were closely aligned with homophobic fears and that pushed parents to send their kids to conversion therapy. Like, this is unnatural. Um, this is unhealthy. This is self-harm. You know, you're or this is just a phase right. and we don't take this seriously yeah. or you're delusional. Like all these things that were eerily similar to... Um, yeah, conversion therapy of like the, you know, crazy evangelical, right? Yikes. Yeah, people, it is really weird that, that and I read that in your thesis, mm -hmm. that that idea that going vegan is far more of an offense. And it, I mean, and as, yeah, it's just very strange because it, it is, I mean, I understand and I've written about this, but how deeply connected what you eat is to the people around you and how you interact with your loved ones and stuff. So it's almost understandable, but it is still hilarious. <laughs> yeah, and I think, I think one, like, the added layer of defensiveness is when someone comes out as being LGBTQ, they're not asking you to be LGBTQ. Right. Although that is a common misunderstanding of, like... Oh, yeah. ...homophobic individuals. Um, this idea that, you know, especially around the topic of gay marriage, right. that's, you know, a big a big problem of <laughs> yeah. like, no, this is our thing. You can't have it. Um, <laughs> but when you say you're vegan or vegetarian, I think for a lot of people, especially if they haven't thought about it and haven't reckoned with it, which most of them have right. not, um, it, there is more of a call to action and there is more maybe guilt or, uh, defensiveness around that because it's something that they could do. Yes. Because obviously being vegan and being gay are two very different things. <laughs> <laughs> they have very interesting connections, but one is, you know, um, I mean, for some people, they you know feel like they're born this way. Others, it kind of is an understanding that happens later on. But it's definitely a much more um, 
like, I don't know. It's not something you can can control or choose or decide in the way that you can control and choose and decide what you eat for most people. Yeah, yeah. Um, So to kind of get into what you're doing now, now that you have your food studies degree, you are a nutrition educator? Yeah, so I, in order to, you know, pay my bills... (laughs) (laughs) Um, and because I'm a slow writer, uh, I decided I wanted to, you know, do something food related, um, that would be kind of meaningful, um, and continuing to write on the side. And so I started working for a nonprofit in Harlem, um, teaching nutrition. And that's actually been really great. I've definitely been trying to keep it very vegan and vegetarian focused. And a lot of those kind of questions have come up and it's, it's always really interesting to talk to kids about that and, and to just try to introduce them to foods that maybe they haven't had or had once and hated. And so, um, and also to try to downplay some of these negative kind of ideas we have around nutrition and health, like, you know, body size and, you know, policing people, what they eat. And, and it's funny, I was thinking about this the other night. I would never say like there was this whole reducitarian movement of like, no, just eat less or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But actually that's what I say to people because even though I, that's not my own personal ethic, like that's the most effective to get, I think, to get people to maybe just be open to it. And so, you know, for some, maybe just eating a salad is like a really, which kind of fucks salad too, but like, <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I've, I've controversial emotions about that. <laughs> Wait, what are your con- what are your emotions well, about that? Well, maybe they're not controversial. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, well, there's this thing when you're vegan, like... Yeah, that you just The eat one salad. thing you can always eat is, like, french fries and salad. And yeah. I mean, give me a french fry any day. But it's like, sometimes I really do want a salad, but it's like the stereotype that, you know, you don't want to be pigeonholed into yeah, a yeah, salad. Yeah. So I understand. Yeah, that's actually my favorite meal, is to have a <laughs> salad and french fries. <laughs> well, it just feels so balanced. It is. It is kind of the perfect balance. Yeah. It's like you've reached nutritional equilibrium. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, so can you talk a little more specifically about how you incorporate veganism into your like programming for the kids? Yeah. So we'll, you know, we'll kind of do different like tastings of fruits or vegetables or grains. And so that's kind of an easy one. But then with some of the other classes I teach with the older kids, we will, you know, actually make a meal. And so I really tried to incorporate um, not only just foods that are, you know, vegan and vegetarian, but also, you know, teach them a little bit about like geography and food culture. And so um, like, you know, some of them had never had tabbouleh before and didn't know where Lebanon was. And so that's really cool. And also a lot of the kids are from um, elsewhere in the world. Like uh, we have a, a large Senegalese uh, population of students, some Syrian kids. Like, And so it's it's been trying to incorporate dishes that are meaningful for them too. Yeah. Um, and then just things like, yeah, we cooked like tofu one day and they were like, oh my gosh, this tastes like chicken or whatever. Which I'm like, it does not taste like chicken, but okay. Um, and then like burgers, you know, like being able to, to give them a food that is otherwise um, like a woe food or like a junk food that is you know, rich and hearty and not so bad for them is also really nice to show them like food can be pleasurable and still be like healthy for you or good for you. It can nourish, you know, 
you and not, you know, I think there's this misconception that like you should suffer if you want to be healthy. <laughs> and, um, you know, it's nice to try to in- incorporate those things and to get feedback too. like all parents come and find me and say, oh, my gosh, like whatever. Little George loved that thing. What was it? I want to make it. <laughs> yeah, and that, yeah, yeah. So that's really nice to get feedback uh, like that. And so it's and I'm learning as well. I mean, in the process, like because, you know, they're all bringing their own like experiences to the table. And so it's cool to, you know, hear what they do or, um, you know, know of like a similar food in like their culture. That right, right, right. They're like, oh, my God, it's the same thing. It just has a different name. So that's yeah. fun. Do you have uh, do you feel like a special responsibility to try and make veganism less white? I mean, not like just to like make these kids know like this is a thing you can do. It's because the perception of veganism is so white and middle class. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, um, yeah, and that kind of there was I remember one of the people that I interviewed, Pax, they uh, they were like, yeah, the animal whites movement. And I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And so, yeah, there is this and, and, and also very tone deaf to yeah. like what's important for people. And and yeah, like, w- you know, we don't want to be like the soylenters of like veganism and like we'll just eat whatever you can. And, you know, as long as it's not animals, like, no, food needs to be like meaningful and culturally relevant. So I do feel responsible for um, integrating veganism into their life rather right. than trying to make their life conform to veganism. Like that is not the goal at all. Um, and sometimes it can be, sometimes it's too much of a burden, like, uh, or too, I feel too responsible. Like if, if not everyone goes vegan tomorrow, like, <laughs> I totally failed. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. like, no, like, um, but yeah, it's, it's important. And thankfully uh, there are, I think I'm the only vegan, um, in that, in my site, but there definitely are some vegetarians and some people interested in veganism and kind of like in that in-between phase. Um, and so it's, it's fun to hear like, you know, the director say, Oh my God, I had this vegan burger, this veggie burger that was so good. Or, you know, I had vegan empanadas and I'll send you the recipe. And so it's, it's a lot of recipe swapping, which is fun. That's awesome. That's how I know, like it was good. They want the recipe. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. Um, and has the, have there been any like bad responses from kids at all? Like what, what if, if a kid is negative about veganism, what is, what does that look like? Um, so there definitely has been, I, uh, like some of the kids, if there's like a new food and of course if I'm giving it to them, it's vegan, they'll be like, Oh, like, like within 10 seconds, like, Oh, that made my stomach hurt. I didn't like that. And it's like, that's not how digestion works. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I took a group of kids to the urban vegan kitchen, um, in the West village and, most of the kids really enjoyed it. And I think it kind of made them think differently. Like one of the kids was like, Oh, like we had this pet chicken and I really loved it. And then, you know, my dad killed it. And I was (laughs) like really sad about that. So I think it's like maybe kind of shifting a little bit of consciousness, but some of the kids, you know, didn't like everything and were kind of, you know, critical of like, well, actually there was this one kid, I was like, you got to be a chef when you grow up because (laughs) his palate was so kind of like refined and he just had all of these really great detailed responses. And I encourage that. I Mm -hmm. encourage them to 
to be critical and to think about the flavor of the food and use words to describe it instead of just like, that's gross. I hate it. That's disgusting. <laughs> I don't like it, which they'll usually say before they've ever even tried right, it. Right, right, right. Um, and that, and so that usually is more the common case. Like, I don't like that. That's gross. Well, have you tried it? Well, no. Well, why don't you just try a little bit? Yeah. No. Well, what about just like a tiny little bite? Well, okay. Actually, that's good. Can I have more of it? Like that's the most <laughs> common conversation like, yeah. that I have. But yeah, when kids are not into something I always try to reiterate like that's okay like you tried it that's the most important thing and and take that back with me and like okay remember that that didn't work like, right, right, to right. try something else yeah um so in the broader vegan movement like what if you had one wish that vegans like broadly would change what what would that Ooh. be man that's a that's a big one I mean <laughs> I think that it's hard to, like, there's so much homophobia and racism yeah. in yeah. the vegan community. So I think that um, really making it a priority to, yeah, like you were saying earlier, factor in just humanity factor in, and especially for, um, yeah, like minority groups that are currently experiencing the most like discrimination in this country. I mean, I can only speak for like North America. Right, I guess. right, right. Um, but yeah, I, I think that's what I would wish because when I when I do look for resources to try to educate in my classroom, um, whether it's environmental as well as whether it's veganism, the B roll is white. They're white hands. They're white faces. They're white voices. It's coated white food. It's there's just no inclusion of like the whole rest of like the people who live here, which is, you know, so diverse. And, um, and that's something that I constantly keep running up against. So professionally in that way and, and, and in writing as well, of course, it would be refreshing to just see like the actual people being factored in. Like right. I, you know, hashtag vegan for the animals. <laughs> I understand why people say that because yeah. of like the health vegans and the eco vegans and all that. But it's like, it's actually all very much connected. And if we don't consider like our own humanity and how that relates to this, um, like it, yeah, it's not going to change anything. And just like joining movements, like right. if you're, you know, kind of aggressive against, you know, the disabilities movement or the queer movement or, you know, black liberation, you know, those are all people who you have something in common with. Right. So like, why not try? <laughs> Just try. <laughs> um, how do you try and does that factor into what you write about as a, or? I mean, I like, I'm never gonna, I don't, I guess I shouldn't say never, but I, it is not appealing to me to cover um, just like a straight white person. Right. I mean, that's, that's been done. <laughs> so I, I definitely try to find, um, more interesting stories where, and not obviously trying, like trying to steer clear of any kind of tokenizing of people just right. because they're different, but truly, um, just trying to highlight people doing really cool shit with, in food that, has these like my of course the dream if I could write about like a queer vegan who is doing some kind of radical like you know anarchist political shit like yes. that would be the dream but <laughs> I'm always kind of looking for those stories or those topics that kind of at the crosshairs of some of those are within the Venn diagram of my interest and right. things that I think need to change in food writing and going after those um yeah 
there's there are too few queer vegan anarchists out there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or they must be out there, but I just they're we need them out there to come. But yeah. yeah, yeah, it's it's and I found that too when I was finding people to talk to and interview. There's so many gay white vegans yeah. who self-identified and were very loud and you know very confident and ready and willing and able to discuss their their lives and it was much harder to find like queer women of color vegans yeah because there's also this like there's more risk right like right. there's more risk involved when you present yourself in a certain way and, right yeah no i'm obviously obsessed with how different social justice movements interact with animal rights because it, it works. It goes both ways where, mm-hmm. where, you know, animal rights people aren't talking to black lives matter people, but are black lives matter people concerned with animal rights. And it's just, it, I wish it were more of a conversation that people are having. Yeah. Yeah. And just <laughs> awareness of, yeah. Like, especially with the workers, that's something that I try to highlight if, if like, especially at my job, if I'm talking about veganism, um, and why it's important is to talk about like, hey, it's like communities of color who end up, you know, bearing the brunt right. of like the pollution and the groundwater um, runoff and, you know, the labor exploitation and the air pollution <laughs> and like the, you know, yeah, just like the absolute abuse from all sides. It tends to be that. So why, yeah, why not support that yeah. ways to change that? And, and definitely, you know, going to like a queer event and then there's like me everywhere. That's yeah. always really disappointing. Cause it's like, Oh, like, ah, why don't you get this? This <laughs> yeah. seems so easy, but yeah. it's not. It's and not. Yeah. It's like, yeah. Being like, yeah, having some grace is yeah. it goes a long way. But, totally, but it is frustrating. <laughs> no, it is frustrating. But it, at the same, like, I, like before, the food is so connected, and I feel like when I don't, I don't know, when you have to give up a lot other in other facets of life, maybe it's harder to also disconnect yourself from the food that you've eaten. You know, like, not that to be an activist means to give anything up, but you are setting yourself apart from the mainstream in so many ways. And then when you set yourself apart from the mainstream in this other, like, very visceral and community-oriented way, it's, 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 you know, it's a lot. It's hard, yeah. And the social element is definitely the hardest for everyone. It's, like, the fear of being excluded or not being able to, like... um to participate in commensality and like to be able to do that thing everyone's doing. Right. And and on one hand you would think it'd be easier if you're already an activist, you're right. already on the outside. But yeah, when it's like that one more thing, like at least I had this one thing and yeah. I didn't have to think about that. <laughs> and yeah. God, now everything is ruined. My <laughs> sister says that all the time. She's like, no, Leah, don't ruin it for me. Like, <laughs> just ruining everything. Oh. And hard if, yeah, it's like, it's all like people that you don't connect with well who are representing veganism right. or vegetarianism and yeah. making it look like this really shallow bullshit Instagram like celebrity thing. Then it makes it easier yeah. to kind of toss it aside. Oh, yeah, to definitely toss it aside. I mean, if it's just like thin white women drinking smoothies and bowls and like yeah. ugh, the raw people. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so... Last question. Okay. I should stop saying that. I, I need to not be meta <laughs> about anything. And I'm making him have things to cut out. Um, but is cooking for you a political act? Mm. I would say, yeah, most of the time. 
I mean, some of the time, like, I don't think about it, right? Yeah. I'm just hungry and I just want to fry some fucking tofu, (laughs) (laughs) which is what I do most nights. (laughs) But in the grand scheme of things, yeah. And I think it's more of, I mean, it's both what I'm choosing not to cook and what I'm choosing to cook. Right. Um, And sometimes I fail. Like, I think it's easy for vegans to forget about like how much plastic we use and you know and yeah shit with palm oil in it and or you know made by like rapists and (laughs) (laughs) it's totally a thing um yeah but yeah food is a political act and um and it's made my life richer I think there's this fear of it being like all this anxiety that comes with the awareness of the problems in the world and the oppression going on and even though that's overwhelming at times, like it's made my life and my eating so much more like flavorful and beautiful and diverse. Awesome. Thank you so much, Leah. Thank you, Alicia. 